Ecclesiastes 7. We will start in verse 15 and should finish the chapter, Lord willing. Ecclesiastes 7 is full of some wise sayings. We looked at a few of those last week, and we will continue on this week. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 15. Let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father God, we come to you tonight, and your word is good, and I pray that we would understand your word. God, that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand it. Dear Lord, maybe at first glance we see things in your word that don't always make sense, but help us not to not to dwell on those things, God, but to for us to wait for you to reveal them to us in the proper time, dear Lord. But we want to get it. We want to understand as much as we can. So help us to do that and take, help us to take what we understand and what we learn through your word and apply it to our lives. I pray, God, that you would hide me behind the cross tonight, that I would preach and teach in a way that brings glory to you, and that these words would be good for us tonight. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In my futile life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in spite of his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who lives long in spite of his evil. Now, the writer of Ecclesiastes has certainly seen a lot. We've seen that throughout the book. They have experienced a lot. They have seen a lot. They have come to a realization of what the world has to offer and that life is not fair and that life is sometimes a bummer. And that's what he says here. He says, look... Sometimes I see somebody who's a righteous man, who's, who's doing good, and they perish even though they are doing what is right and good, and yet you look over and you see somebody evil, and it seems like they're living a long life. It does not seem fair. Why is it that way sometimes? Well, I don't know the answer to that. Perhaps sometimes God lets the righteous perish, not because they are more deserving of perishing, but perhaps... He takes the righteous home because they are already his, and he knows there is no need for them to stay. Perhaps the wicked live longer on occasion because God is in hopes that they would become the righteous. If the righteous already seek God and live for God, if they leave this earth at a young age, it is certainly sad for those of us who are left behind. But for those who leave this world at a young age, it is good for them because they get to escape all of the all of the miseries of this life. And the older we get, the more we realize that as good as this life is on occasion, that we get to a point, and I see it often, and maybe some of you are getting to this point, that you realize it's better to go home and be with the Lord than it is to stay here in all of the mess that we see. So sometimes God takes the righteous home, and it's not necessarily that they are more deserving to die, uh, but sometimes the wicked live longer. Why God makes those choices, I do not know, but I do know that God is patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. We do see that in the Scripture. So maybe that is what we are seeing here. Maybe that's the thought that's being said even still, it doesn't seem fair to us. It doesn't seem fair to us when we see people who are so evil and it seems like that nothing bad happens to them. And we see people that try to do good and it seems like bad things happen to them. If it was up to us, we would certainly bring punishment on the evil in an instant. But praise the Lord, it's not up to us because quite frankly, even if we would not want to admit it, 
We are those who are evil. We are those, the scripture says, who are enemies of God. And so if God would act how we somehow, uh, sometimes may like to act, then God would, would smite us right on the spot. But praise the Lord, he has been patient with us, so let us be patient with others. And let us know that whatever choice he makes, whether he takes the righteous home early or whether he gives them long years or whether he takes the wicked home early or gives them long years, that is for <laughs> God to decide. Verse 16, don't be excessively righteous and don't be overly wise. <clears throat> Why should you destroy yourself? Now, this is an interesting uh, thing to consider. Don't be excessively righteous and don't be overly wise. Now, what exactly does he mean there? Well, whatever he means there, it's not good. Because he says the result of these things will be destruction that you'll bring upon yourself. So perhaps this, this being overly wise and being um, uh, excessively righteous, perhaps he's speaking of a, of, a, of, a, of a righteousness that's not really from the heart, of a, of a, of a wisdom that's not really from the heart, a, a righteousness that's outward. And, and those who profess to be wise when really they are simply self-righteous and self-wise. Maybe this is similar to what Jesus said when he says in the Sermon on the Mount, that our righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. Now, if you were to ask a Pharisee if they were righteous, they would have said, oh, yes, I am so righteous. Now, in their eyes, they were, they were exceedingly righteous. In their eyes, they were overly wise, but not in the eyes of God. In the eyes of God, they were fools. They weren't wise at all. They were fools because they rejected Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the Bible says that the cross of Christ is wisdom to those who believe, but to those who don't put their faith in Jesus Christ, it looks like foolishness to them. So maybe that's what he's talking about here, this idea of being self-righteous or, or thinking you're holier than thou. That may be a good term that we may use. Maybe we are tempted to fall into that trap of religion that we think we are so holy and we are so righteous and we are so good. And what is the end of that? It is to our own destruction. Because we are seeking our own, our own abilities and our own righteousness instead of seeking to be made righteous through Jesus Christ. Verse 17, don't be excessively wicked and don't be foolish. Why should you die before your time? Now, this one's pretty easy to understand. Now, he just got through saying that sometimes the wicked live longer. And indeed, they do. But generally speaking, God blesses those who are righteous and those who live foolish lives, those consequences are going to catch up. Now, sometimes we may make foolish decisions and, and we may get away with it for a little while or maybe for a long while. But, but ultimately, if we continue to live in foolishness and we continue to live in wickedness, well, that's going to have an effect on our life. And he says here... Uh, don't be excessively wicked and don't be foolish. Why should you die before your time? That is, when we make foolish decisions, it may bring our life to a quick end if we're doing things that are foolish and, and, and things that we should not be doing. And so what does he say? Don't be self-righteous. Don't, don't be too foolish. Both of these things are to your own harm. One you can look at instantly and say, oh yeah, that's bad, that wickedness. The other may have the appearance of being good, when in reality it's just as bad as the other. Verse 18, it is good that you grasp the one and do not let the other slip from your hand. For the one who fears God will end up with both of them. Now, 
at the beginning of this verse, you need to you need to be aware of both of these things. You need to grasp them. You don't need to let them slip through your hands. Both of these things we've talked about: this being overly righteous and this being overly wicked. You you need to you need to remember both of these things. Now, at the end of that verse, in my translation, it says, "For the one who fears God will end up with both of them." Now, that doesn't really make sense to me. Some of your translations will say something different, and that does seem to make better sense, at least to me. Some of your translations at the end of verse 18 will say, for he who fears God will escape them all. all. That is, all of these things that he's talked about, those who have a fear of the Lord will escape these things. That is, they will not overcome us. We will not be overly righteous. We will be righteous. We will not be foolish and wicked. We will be wise. And I think that that's probably a better reading of, of what the point is that is that, that he's trying to get across here, is that when we fear the Lord and keep his commands, that's what matters, right? We see that at the end of the book. We've talked about that time and time again. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the scripture says. And so when we fear the Lord, as it says here, we'll escape these things that will bring destruction on us if we give in to them. But if we don't give in to them, we fear the Lord, we realize that God says these things are bad, then we will escape these things through the power of God. Verse 19. Wisdom makes the wise man stronger than ten rulers of a city. Now, that's a good verse for us to consider. Wisdom is a good thing, and so we need to seek wisdom. It's a beautiful thing. It is a powerful thing. It's better than having strength. You can have a lot of strength. You can have a lot of wealth. You can have a lot of fame. But if you don't have wisdom, then you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. And what is the comparison? Wisdom makes you stronger than ten rulers of a city. Now, if in fact this is Solomon who is writing these words, we know that Solomon had great wisdom. But even though Solomon had great wisdom, <clears throat> maybe the greatest wisdom of this earth apart from Jesus Christ, if Solomon had great wisdom, then what does that say for us? Because Solomon in his great wisdom failed. Because he also had great riches, he also had great fame, he also had lots of wives, and he lived foolishly and did not listen to and trust in the Lord and even in all of his wisdom it didn't do him any good <clears throat> so wisdom is a good thing but we have to put wisdom above all other things and even though he had great wisdom he didn't live by that wisdom in the way he should and so we want to make sure one we are those who are wise by knowing the word of God and by seeking wisdom through the word of God and we want to live that out and that's where our real strength will come from. If we make wise decisions, if we do wise things in our life, that is a, it is a good quality to have. That's a good strength for us to obtain, greater than any strength or wealth that we could obtain. Verse 20, There is certainly no righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. Now, that certainly is true. There is nobody that has ever walked the face of this earth apart from Jesus Christ who was righteous and never sinned. So the writer of Ecclesiastes here recognizes that that is true of himself, and we need to reconcile, <coughs> excuse me, recognize that that is true for us as well. There is no one in this world that is righteous. So if you came into this building or you're listening online and you think, I am righteous, then be careful. Because what you may be is exceedingly righteous in your own eyes, which the writer of Ecclesiastes just told us, be careful because that will lead to your destruction. 
We are not righteous. We are wretched sinners. But we can be made righteous through Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. Now, we don't want to boast in our righteousness because there's nothing that we have done to earn that righteousness. It has come through one who has been righteous in Jesus. And so we are all sinners. We are all in need of a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. It is not our religion. It is not that we may be holier than thou. It's not that we may not be better than than. 95% of the people in this world. You may be better than 95% of the people in this world. But it matters not if you have not put faith in Jesus Christ. So it's not just about a, a worldly righteousness. Because there is no one who is righteous apart from Jesus Christ. Verse 21. Don't pay attention to everything people say or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know that many times you yourself have cursed others. Now, we got to be careful of what people say and, and not make too much of it. Now, perhaps there are times that you have said things of people that later you regret. Maybe in the moment and something that was going on, you say something and you shouldn't have said that. And so we have to be careful that, that we don't put too much emphasis on things people say, whether bad or good. Now, in this particular case, it talks about uh, you may hear your servant cursing you, and it's it's it's. It's a bummer when somebody says something bad of you or negatively of you. We don't like that. But we need to make sure that when people say those things, I suppose it's good for us to examine ourselves and say, hey, depending on what they say, is that thing true about me? And if, if they say something about how we act or something we're doing, maybe we need to check ourselves and say, hey, maybe I'm not right in that way. Maybe they are right. Maybe they're just angry with us. Maybe they're talking out of their head. Maybe what they say is not true. But perhaps in some way we need to examine what people say, even the things that hurt us. But sometimes we need to be careful not to put too much stock in what people say because we can take some some negative feedback or something negative somebody says about us, and it's it's easy perhaps for some more than others to just allow that to say, well, I just want to give up, you know, right? Because we have a tendency for some more than others, to be people pleasers. And so when you don't please everybody, which we don't, and that's what makes it difficult, for some it's easy to say, man, that's a bummer. Uh, we need to remember, though, that Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect Son of God, who was probably the best preacher and teacher, not well, no, he was not, he was the best preacher and teacher to ever walk this earth, and yet guess what Jesus did not do? He did not please everybody. Now that's crazy to think. Now, I suppose that if you were to go around to probably most churches in the world and say, if Jesus came in, would you listen to him? And they would probably all say, oh, yes. Probably everybody in this church would say, oh, yes. But the fact of the matter is that if Jesus were to come into this church and preach, there would be some that would reject his message. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, the scripture is full of people who rejected his message. People who were churchgoers, people who were religious in their own eyes, people who were self-righteous, and yet they heard the words of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and they did not like what they heard. And so there's nothing in my mind that leads me to believe that anything would be different in this world. And so it says here, uh, don't pay attention to what people say about you because they may curse you. So know that everybody is not always going to agree. You're not going to please everybody. So be careful in that sense. But also be careful, I think, even though the passage I don't, I don't think necessarily is talking about this in the context. But it's also good for us to be careful when people say good things about us, not to become to become proud. It's easy when somebody gives you a compliment or says something good 
it's easy for you to to to, to be proud. And so uh, perhaps we need to think a little less of, of the of the of the compliments that we get, and maybe a little more of the of the criticisms that we get, and kind of find a happy medium, and not let either of those things crush us because they can. Those 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 good encouraging words. Hey, you did a good job with this. Okay, it's good. If somebody's going to boast in you, let them boast in you. But you boast in the Lord and uh, try not to let your pride get in the way. And that's that's a, a battle. Again, that may be a harder battle for some more than others, but we need to be careful. Don't be crushed by the criticism. Don't be proud by the, by the, by the, by the praises that people may heap on you. So be careful uh, about what you hear others say. Verse 23. I have tested all this by wisdom. I resolved, I will be wise. Now, have any of us ever resolved that before? Have you ever just, just one day you just said, I'm tired of being foolish. I want to be wise. We read God's word. We read about wisdom. We see the choices we make. We see our attitude and we see the things that we do. And we just say, I'm tired of this. God, I'm tired of being foolish. I just want to be wise. And we really genuinely want to with all of our heart. We've probably, everybody in this room have uttered those words. And if you haven't, there's a good chance that at some point in your life, hopefully, you'll get to that point where you say, I just, I'm going to do what is wise. And that's what he said. He resolved by the wisdom that he had gained, I will be wise. That's a good place to get to, to say that you want to be wise. But then what does he say right after that? But it was beyond me. Now, how many of us have, have, have done that? You say, I'm going to be wise. Tomorrow, God, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be wise. And you wake up and before you eat breakfast, you've done something foolish. And you're like, man, today I thought was going to be the day. And so it's a struggle. We have to continue to work at that. We have to continue to try to make wise choices in the midst of the foolishness. Because even if we desire to be wise, and that desire comes from a good place in our heart, those opportunities to fail and fall into foolishness are going to come. And that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. I wanted to be wise, but it was beyond me. And so it is beyond what we can do, but it's not beyond what, what God can do. And so if we want to be wise, we need to continue to seek the wisdom of God. We need to continue to seek the word of God. We need to listen when God speaks and follow through with things that God calls us to do and stay away from things that God calls us not to do. That is wisdom. And every time we listen to what God says and we do what he says, we grow a little bit. We grow a little bit. We grow a little bit. When we realize, hey, I can say yes to God and no to sin. Every time we say yes to sin and no to God, we go downhill. But every time we begin to say yes to God, we continue to grow. And every time after that, it's a little easier for us to say, I'm going to follow you, God. And so it's probably a struggle that we all have faced or will face a struggle to be wise. And we will fail. But through God, we will continue to seek him hopefully. And I believe even in that, I believe there is wisdom in seeking wisdom, even on the times that we fail. Verse 24, what exists is beyond reach and very deep. Who can discover it, right? So he wanted wisdom, but even though he wanted it, it was beyond him. It was, it was beyond his reach. Now, one day, for those of us who put faith in Jesus Christ, we will reach that wisdom 
But while we're here on this earth, it's a struggle. It's, it's, it's beyond our reach to, to be as wise as we desire to be. But one day when we are with the Lord, we will, we will find what is what we desire. We will find what is beyond our reach. Who can discover it? Well, the one who seeks God is the one who can discover it. Verse 25, I turned my thoughts to know, explore, and seek wisdom and an explanation for things and to know that wickedness is stupidity and folly is madness. Now, that's a good thing to know. If we're going to put our thoughts to wisdom, what does wisdom teach us? Well, hopefully it teaches us that wickedness is stupidity and folly is madness. So let us not be those who are wicked and full of folly in our life because those are not good things. Wisdom would speak against those things. Wisdom would call us to better things in the Lord. Verse 26, And I find more bitter than death the woman who is a trap, her heart a net, and her hands chains. The one who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner will be captured by her. Now, if in fact this is Solomon, we know that Solomon had a lot of wives and a lot of concubines, a thousand of them in total between the two. And they probably weren't very good based on this reading that we are seeing here. What does he say here? That uh, find more bitter than death the woman who is a trap. That is, women who perhaps don't love him, that are just kind of there. They're not really important. They're not good women. And in fact, it's very hard to find a good woman and a woman because we know this from Proverbs chapter 31, that a good wife is more precious than jewels. And so there are good women out there, but they are rare. And in Solomon's case, perhaps he wasn't the best picker of women. Sometimes men are like that. Sometimes men are not very good pickers of women. And in Solomon's case, or whoever wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, it appears as though that, that his experiences with women were not good because he said uh, uh, it's more bitter than death. Uh, the woman who's a trap is more bitter than death. And he goes on to say, uh, the one who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner will be captured by her. Now, we see this language of, of, of a woman, I believe also in Proverbs, uh, kind of speaking of, of a sinful lifestyle and giving in to these things that are unhealthy and ungodly. And so we don't want to give in to, uh, if, as men, as, as women who may who may draw us into things that are sinful, or if we if we want to kind of consider this this idea that maybe a woman here is representative of sin, whatever that sin may be that draws us in, how can we escape that sin that traps us, or as Hebrews would say, that sin that so easily ensnares us? Well, that the way we escape that is through the power of God. The one who pleases God will escape her. Now, if we are pleasing God and living in obedience to God, we are not going to be with a sinful woman or a sinful man that does not love us, that, that leads us into things that are not appropriate and not godly and not healthy and not good. And so if we want to escape those things in our life, we want to be godly men and women who seek to please God. And when we do that, we will find godly men and women. And those relationships will be good. And so we need to be careful, as Paul would say, that we are not unequally yoked. And that is to say that a Christian marries a non-Christian because that's where 
trouble comes into the picture. Now, you may say, well, I'm a Christian, and this person is not a Christian, but they're not bad, and I think if I marry them, I could lead them to Christ. Well, you may, but then again, they may could pull you from Christ. That may cause difficulties in the relationship. So Paul says, do not be unequally yoked. So we want to be those who live pleasing to God so that we are not in a situation with another woman or another man in which we find ourselves trapped by sin. But if we do what's pleasing to God, we will find ourselves in better situations. Verse 27, look, says the teacher, I have discovered this by adding one thing to another to find out the explanation which my soul continually searches for but does not find. Among a thousand people, I have found one true man. But among all these, I have not found a true woman. Now, this is an interesting passage to consider. And it's really hard, at least for me, and, and I think the general consensus is it's hard, to know what exactly he's talking about here. Now, in my translation, it has the word true. Uh, among a thousand people, I have found one true man. But among all these, I have not found a true woman. In some other translations, it may say simply this. uh, But I cannot find one man among a thousand. I have found but a woman among all these. I have not found. So it doesn't say a true man or a true woman. In the the context, I think in the literal uh, uh, writing there, it simply says... I, out of a thousand men, I have not found one out of a thousand, or I have found one out of a thousand, I have not found one woman. One woman what? One man what? Well, it doesn't say in the original text. So it's hard to know exactly what he's talking about. Now, some of your translations may say, I have found one righteous man and not a righteous woman. And maybe that's what he means. That may be the right interpretation there. That's It's not crazy to think that that's what he means there. Uh, but... Righteousness is hard to come by. It's, it's very seldom you find a righteous man, at least in the case of the writer here. He's saying, I have not found a righteous woman or a true woman or a woman in whatever way that he is looking for a woman. And that may be, again, if this is Solomon that's being talked about here, it may be that he's just picked bad women. Now, oftentimes, if you are good looking and you got lots of power and you got lots of money, you're going to attract lots of women. But women who are attracted to power and money and that's all they want, guess what? They're not going to be good women. And so right off the bat, if those are the ones who are flocking to you and wanting to be your wives in the case of Solomon, then be careful because in all of that group, you're probably not going to find a good woman. And again, Proverbs 31 tells us what? That a good woman is is a rare thing. It's more precious than jewels. Now, Why do jewels cost so much money? Why do diamonds cost so much money? Why do all these precious jewels cost so much money? Because they are rare. Now, if if rings could be made out of rock, they would cost two cents a piece because rocks are abundant. Rocks are everywhere. The parking lot's full of rocks. But, but, But gemstones and jewels and diamonds and things such as that are extremely rare. And therefore, they are extremely valuable. So that's good for us to remember. For those men who may one day seek a wife, for those women who may one day seek a husband, is be careful because there are a lot of bad men out there 
and there are a lot of bad women out there. And you may find a thousand, and in that thousand you may not find but one that's good. But if you do the will of God and seek the will of God and live by the will of God and look for another man or woman who lives by the will of God and seeks the will of God, then you will find a good man or you will find a good woman. Now notice what I didn't say there. I didn't say there, look for a man who is the most handsome or look for a woman who is the most beautiful or look for a man who is super wealthy or a woman who is super wealthy. If we seek those things, we may get those things. We may get wealth and we may get somebody that is smoking hot, but they may not be a godly man or woman and that may lead to trouble. And so we need to seek better things than what the world says. The world says looks and money are important. And indeed they are. I mean, certainly we should be attracted to those that we are going to marry. But here's the thing, is that when we begin to seek people for who they are on the inside, they become attractive to us on the outside. When we like the way somebody is on the inside and we get to know who they are, they are attractive to us on the outside. And so we've got to start with what matters. And in Solomon's case, I don't know that he started with what matters because God told him, be careful with these foreign women. They're going to destroy you. And he did not listen. And so we need to do better than Solomon. In all of his wisdom, he failed. And so we need to be on guard that we do not fail, that we find that one who is precious and who is rare, who is going to be good and godly. Verse 29. Only see this. I have discovered that God made people upright, but they pursued many schemes. So God made people, made people to be good and to do right. He made Adam and Eve. He put them in the Garden of Eden, and he provided everything for them. And even though he made them, what did they do? They decided to sin. They decided to pursue their evil schemes, much like you and I. God desires for us to, to do right and to do good, but we are constantly tempted by sin. There are times that we constantly pursue the evil schemes in our life. We probably, don't, we probably don't categorize the things we do in our life as evil schemes because that sounds pretty heavy. But the reality is probably a lot of the things we do that are sinful, we could put right in that category. Oh, what's our evil scheme that we are up to? Perhaps we have some evil schemes that we are up to today. Even though that God does not desire for us to live in that way, maybe there are some evil schemes that we are pursuing. So how do we escape that? We escape that in the same way that he told us earlier in this chapter, that we fear God. We escape, the, we escape self-righteousness. We escape foolishness. We escape all of these things by the fear of the Lord, that we fear God and keep his commands. In the end, that is all that matters. That's what he tells us at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, to fear God and to keep his commands. Let us be those tonight who do that, who fear God, who keep His command, who seek to be godly men and women, and who seek to surround ourselves with godly men and women. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for this good, good few verses that we have looked at tonight, and I pray, God, that we would be those who escape the sins of this world. And when we escape, God, not because of what we do, not because we can run fast, or not because we can be good, we escape because of what Jesus has done on the cross. So let us find that sweet escape in Jesus Christ tonight, dear Lord, that we would escape the foolishness of the world and the, and the chains of religion and self-righteousness, God, that we would never think too highly of ourselves, but we would highly exalt Jesus and all that he has done. I pray, God, that you would help us to be those 
Perhaps there are some in this room that one day will be looking for a husband or one day will be looking for a wife, dear Lord. Help us to be those who seek good men and good women. Help us to, in fact, be the good man and the good woman that somebody else is seeking. And how are we good, dear Lord? Well, there is none good except for you. But, dear Lord, we we strive to be as good as we can by following your commands. So, God, let us live by your will and trust you in all we do. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.